This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Let's go back and recap a little bit so we can get ourselves up to the end of the tribulation so we can talk about what God's going to do and what the Bible says. The, uh, the end-time events, as uh, recorded in the book of Revelation, start with the rapture of the church. The, um, um, it does, the tribulation period does not start with the rapture. The rapture is prior to the tribulation period. It's interesting to me how that uh, John speaks by the Holy Ghost and says that he saw in heaven the beginning of the tribulation. Well, that seems significant in some way. For example, I grew up in a denominational church and we were always taught that if the rapture was on Friday, the tribulation started either that day or the next day. In other words, we had the idea that the rapture is what started the tribulation, but the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says that what starts the tribulation period is the war that's described in Ezekiel 38 and 39, where the uh, Russia and the coalition armies, including Iran and, and most of the, uh, um, well, all of the Islamic nations of the Middle East and uh, some of the territories that we know of as Europe, will attack Israel and will be defeated in, in one day, in one 24-hour period. So why does it not say that the rapture starts the tribulation? Why does it say that the war starts the tribulation period. It's possible, and we don't know. I guess we'll know when we get there. But it's possible that there could be some period of time between the rapture and the tribulation period, the start of the tribulation period. It may take certain things of period of time for them to, to align themselves so that uh, things can be in order for the tribulation to start as the Bible speaks of. Nevertheless, the tribulation begins with that war where we just described where the coalition, Russia is the leader, Iran is the right-hand man, and, uh, and the Islamic nations of the Middle East and um, some European territories attack Israel. Now, the Bible says that God defends Israel in a, in a miraculous way. It says uh, one of the first things that happens is there's an earthquake. It talks about the earthquake among the mountains. The only mountainous region around Israel is Syria, so it must uh, center around the Syrian uh, nation some way or another. It says that God turns these people against each other. They begin to fight one another. And, uh, and then it says that God rains fire and hail down upon them. And it says that he leaves, uh, Ezekiel 39 verse 2 says that he leaves just the sixth part. That means one-sixth. That's a little less than 17%. Now it also says that he rains fire down on Russia, which is uh, referred to as Magog, and the isles, the isles of the sea, or the, the isles that d dwell confidently is the way the King James, uh, or carelessly, the word uh, careless is also the word confident in the King James. But really what it's talking about is it's talking about the coastal nations. So it's saying that God not only punishes the armies that come comes against Israel, but it says that he f pours fire down upon the nations that sent the armies. Now, if there's two ways to interpret that. You can interpret that as he will destroy 83% of the armies and leave just 17% of them. Or you could interpret that the sixth part of everybody that comes against them, which means he destroys 83% of all the, what we know of is the most, the majority of uh, uh, the major Islamic nations of the world. Which way is it? Well, I'm not sure. It seems to indicate 
that it's the nations and not just the army. That's my personal opinion. I can't say that with surety, though. But if that were the case, then God's wiping out Islam and just pretty much the whole of Islam in one day. Now, there are other Islamic nations. You've got Indonesia and Pakistan and India that have large uh, uh, Islamic populations, but they're not the ones stirring up the trouble in the world for the most part. So you've got, you've got the very real possibility, probability in my opinion, that God is dealing with Islam in one day. I mean, wiping them out. Now, the Bible says that the, the weapons of the, the armies that come against Israel will burn for seven years. He says, it says that it won't take any wood, it won't take any, any artificial fire, they won't have to set fire to anything. The weapons of the armies will burn for seven years. Furthermore, it says that it will take seven months for Israel to bury all the armies that come against them that are just in their territories. It says that there are going to be uh, whole crews of people that are dedicated for a seven-month period to, um, uh, to bury the dead. So we're talking about some major, major destruction. Now, if that's the case where God is raining fire down on the countries as well, you can well imagine the destruction that would be done in those nations also. The Bible just tells us about what happens in Israel, not about what happens in other places in the world. Can you imagine, if that is the case, the potential, at least, for disease around the world, at least in the Middle East? I mean, how could you bury people that fast? It's going to be a full-time job for seven months for Israel. That's just in Israel. What about other nations? What about these nations that are devastated? The Bible talks about another thing that happens as the uh, tribulation begins is famines. Well... If 83% of the Islamic nations in the Middle East are destroyed, who's going to take care of things? I, I know that the infrastructure there is not necessarily what we're used to, but who's going to take care of the things that are there? What about the economies of those nations? What about the economies of Europe that depends on other nations? What about these oil-producing nations? If, if these things happen today and the world depends on, on the, the oil of the Middle East like it does today, what's going to happen then? You can well understand the world would be in an upheaval. That may be the very situation, that may be the scenario, that may be the stage that is set for the Antichrist to come to power. Because the Antichrist turns out to be not too sharp a guy. We get this idea from Hollywood and other stuff that, that the Antichrist is, oh boy, he's something. Nobody can resist him. Folks, the whole book of Revelation is about how the Antichrist tries and fails again and again and again and again and again. And this may be the case where there is a leadership vacuum. One of the scriptures in uh, uh, one of the verses in Ezekiel 39 talks about the birds of the air, how that they come and they eat the flesh of all those that attack Israel. It, t- it says that God draws them from all the, the four corners of the winds and brings them in to eat the flesh of those that attack Israel. Well, if that same destruction or a similar type of destruction is taking place in other, other nations as well then you could well understand that you've got leaders. As a matter of fact, one of the, that verse that speaks of that says that they will feast not only on the warriors, but also the kings. Now, I don't know too many kings that go to war anymore. It indicates that the kings will be killed along with the armies. I don't know too many kings or presidents or, or rulers of nations that go to war anymore. It used to be that everybody went out and fought their own battles. Maybe those were the good old days. I'm not sure. But that's certainly not the way things work now. Now a nation goes to war, he sends the army out, and he stays home. 
Well, then how are these animals, how how are these birds going to feast on the kings of these nations? That's another indication to me that the destruction takes place not only on the battlefield, but also in the countries that sent them. Nevertheless, you've got a lot of of things that are going to begin to take place. Uh, The the earthquake in uh, in Syria is uh, is the first thing that uh, that happens the, um, uh, in, in God's defense of Israel. You've got the armies fighting against each other, and they kill, many of them kill each other. And then you've got these, this fire and hail and, and blood, or these hailstones mixed with fire and blood that come and destroy the armies and possibly the, the nations themselves. Then it tells us that the 144,000 uh, Jewish evangelists rise up. Now, these are worldwide. These are not just in Israel. These are worldwide, and they go through a a little over three and a half years, just about almost four years, actually, of of ministering and and trying to reach people and and so forth. So these 144,000 Jewish evangelists start at the beginning of the tribulation, and they get people saved, and everybody that gets saved under their ministry is called the great multitude. It's both Jewish and Gentile. The Bible identifies that it's both, made up of, uh, of both, of all nations and so forth. It says, um, you know, actually, let me, um, let me turn over to, to Romans chapter 1 and read, or Romans chapter 11, rather, and read something to you. I think it's important for us to, to see how some of the things fit that we take for granted and that we read as um, in the letters given to the church. Romans chapter 11, I'm going to start reading in verse 25 and I'll read down through verse 28. Paul said, for I would not... Brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. He's just talked about how Israel turned away from God and the Gentiles came in. So he said, I would not have you to be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits. That blindness or hardness of heart, in part, of uh, talking about of Israel, in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. Now what is he talking about? Well, folks, the fullness of the Gentiles coming into the church is the rapture. He's not talking about just people getting saved. He's talking about until the Gentiles, the, which the, the church uh, up today primarily is, is primarily a Gentile church, is caught up into heaven. That's the fullness of the Gentiles coming in that he's talking about. Let me show you. And he says in verse 26, And so, or then, all Israel shall be saved. I want you to notice that Paul says that all Israel is going to be saved, but he's not talking about all of Israel is going to be saved during the church age. They're going to be saved primarily during the tribulation period. So he said, And all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, There shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and shall turn away the uh, ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. Now notice that phrase, when I shall take away their sins. Hadn't Jesus already taken away sin? Well, then he can't be talking about during the church age. Because otherwise, Paul would say they're just, the salvation belongs to them just as much as it does you. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying there's something, there's an event that's going to take place that will bring Israel into the kingdom of God. Verse 28, as concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. Paul should know this better than anybody because they are the number one cause of trouble in his life and ministry. Religious persecution from the Jews is why Paul was run out of every, almost every town that he went to. So he says, as concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. But as touching the election, meaning God still has a plan for Israel. But as t- touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. So what is the Bible telling us? It's telling us that during the tribulation period, very much so during the 144,000 
uh, Jewish evangelism ministry, Jewish ministry of evangelism, these guys are going to reach Israel in a great, great, great way. Not just those Jews that live in Israel, but Jews worldwide. Now, after their, um, after their ministry takes place, like I said, there are certain plagues and troubles and, and so forth. But basically, the first half of the tribulation is pretty smooth sailing. The Antichrist makes an agreement with Israel. He makes a peace treaty with Israel as soon as he comes onto the scene. And this peace treaty portrays him as a man of peace. This war has just, you know, one day war ended when the tribulation started. And now he's going to put everything back together. And so they, they, they fall in with him. They fall in behind the, his plan. The Bible says that temple worship is, instit- is reinstituted during the first half of the tribulation. Now, that tells me that the idea that God has poured out his wrath upon the Islamic nations and not just the armies has to be the case. Because if it's just the armies that are defeated, what about the, the, the conflict that takes place over the Temple Mount? That's the only place there can be a temple is on the Temple Mount. Why would Islam uh, stop fighting for the Temple Mount? Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. The Bible says Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses on the cross. He was wounded, Isaiah 53, 5 says he was wounded for your transgressions, that's sins. He was bruised for your iniquities, that's sins. The chastisement of your peace was upon him, that's provision. That's the penalty or the, uh, uh, the overcoming of the curse of poverty. And by his stripes, you were healed. That's the overcoming of sickness. The Bible says in the same verse, the same verse that Jesus paid the price for your sins, he paid the price for your sickness. Now, if somebody was coming to get saved, we wouldn't expect them to pray all night to see if God would do it, would we? Why is it different with healing? Jesus paid the same price at the same time. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Now I'm going to turn back to Daniel chapter 9. And this will set up uh, both the halfway point of the tribulation as well as some things that we want to say. This is Daniel talking about the 70 weeks. Each week is a seven-year period of time. And um, I'll start in verse 26. It says, And after three score and two weeks, 62 weeks, shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. That's talking about the resurrection of Jesus. And the people of the prince that shall come. Now, the prince that shall come is talking about the Antichrist. And the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. And he, the Antichrist, verse 27, shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. That's that seven-year period. It's saying the Antichrist will, will make a seven-year peace treaty with Israel, but then he'll break it. And in the, uh, he'll make, he'll confirm the covenant with many for one week. And in the midst of the week, the halfway point of the tribulation, he shall cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. Well, you can't stop the sacrifice from ceasing or you can't make the sacrifice cease if it hasn't been going on already. So in the first half of the tribulation, somewhere along the way, the temple is rebuilt and the sacrifices of Israel begin once again. But at the midpoint of the tribulation, the Antichrist stops the sacrifice. He breaks his treaty with Israel. 
He destroys this world religious system. That's Revelation chapter 17. He declares himself God. This is what uh, uh, these scriptures here in Daniel is what Jesus said. When you see that which Daniel prophesied about the Antichrist take place, know that the time is nigh. Well, what Daniel prophesied is at the halfway point where the Antichrist stops the temple sacrifice and he begins to proclaim that he, that he is God. He also institutes the, the beast system. He sets forth the mark of the beast. He and the false prophet are... Um, the false prophet is his uh, spokesman, it seems. And then they set up a wor- the worship of the image of the beast system. Now, it's not him. He's not setting up his own, his own image to be worshipped. But he's setting up an image, some kind of idol, to the beast system. He's doing something that commem- commemorates his administration, so to speak. To say, this is the greatest thing. This is the, uh, the, what was always intended. Uh, I am God, and so this is, this is the way things work. As a result, when he destroys the world religious system and, and uh, institutes worship of, of uh, the beast image, which is the system, not him, both he, the Antichrist, and the system are both called the beast throughout uh, Revelation. When he does that, then automatically he's against all those that have made Jesus the Lord of their lives in that three-and-a-half-year period of the tribulation. That great multitude is under great peril now, but God snatches them away and raptures them to heaven. They escape in that manner. Now, he also causes Israel to be hidden, the remnant of Israel to be hidden. Now, turn with me over to uh, Matthew chapter 24. This is what Jesus is speaking of when he talks to his disciples. When you therefore see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand, then let him which is in Judea flee into the mountains. He says, let him not, let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field turn back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. But pray you that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation such as not was in the beginning of the world to this time, nor shall ever be. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake those days shall be shortened. What's he talking about? He's talking about the last three and a half years of the tribulation. That's when the plagues and everything really, really starts being poured out. Now, it's, um, uh, that's the, when God hides the remnant. He hides them in the mountains. And then it says that the two witnesses begin their ministry. Now, we don't know exactly who these two witnesses are. Most uh, scholars... Um, conclude, guess, whatever word you want to use, that it's Enoch and Elijah. Now, the reason that's the best guess we can make is because neither Enoch nor Elijah died in the Old Testament. They were caught up into heaven. So the Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die. So maybe this is their their opportunity to come back. It doesn't have to be them. It could be somebody else. God could raise up somebody that we don't even know. Who knows? Nevertheless, these two witnesses begin begin their ministry and they minister throughout the rest of the the uh, tribulation period the last half the last three and a half years of the tribulation period now at the same time um, that the two witnesses begin their ministry the bible says in revelation chapter 11 that they call plagues down and they utilize plagues at their will now the bible tells us what those plagues are it says the plagues that begin in the last half of the tribulation is first of all hail, fire, and blood. That's Revelation chapter 8, verse 7. It says one-third of the oceans become blood. That's Revelation chapter 8 and verse 8. It says there's a star that falls from heaven called wormwood that poisons one-third of all the domestic waters on the earth. Revelation chapter 8, verses 11 and 10 and 11. 
And then it says that there's a darkness that comes upon one-third of the sun and the moon and the stars in Revelation chapter 8 and verse 12. And it says that these two witnesses use these plagues as they want to. When somebody comes against them, it says fire goes out of their mouth and destroys them. And then it says that they have the opportunity to use these plagues at will. So you've got some real bad stuff going on along with these two witnesses that remember the Antichrist has just proclaimed that he's God. Now he can't control these two guys. And it says that the world is tormented by the two witnesses. Everybody that's still here on the earth is looking at this and seeing it's not the Antichrist and it's not working against God that's the problem. They say it's these two witnesses. It's always the people of God that are the problem. No matter what the problem is, it's always the church. It's always these Christians. It's always Israel. It's always something. It's always something of God, folks. Everything in this world is an attack against God. Because Satan is the God of this world system. So it goes a little bit further. As I said, the remnant of, the, of Israel is hidden in the mountains. And then it says that the angels begin their ministry. That in the, the church age, the Bible says that God has designed the foolishness of preaching to confound the wise of the world. But in the, the tribulation period, it talks about the ministry of angels that are preaching and telling about Jesus. You've, now, now, all the time that the world is saying the two witnesses are the problem, you've got angels flying through the air. Angels flying through the air saying, repent, Jesus is coming back. But no, it's the two witnesses that are the problem. My point is simply this. God keeps giving people opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to see what's going on, and to change. Now, it also tells us that, um, oh, I left out one of the plagues. Turn with me over to Revelation chapter 9. This is one of the plagues that, uh, that's the most baffling to me. And I've, I've read a lot of commentaries of what people think about it and, and how it's going to work and all this kind of stuff, and none of them satisfy me. I, I, I just don't know. Revelation chapter 9, let's start in verse 1. It says, And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven under the earth. And to him, so it's not a literal star, it's a personality. And to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of that pit, as the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. So you've got some kind of major, major worldwide air pollution thing going on here. And there came up out of the smoke locusts upon the earth. And unto them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. There's a couple of things we need to see here. First of all, this happens at a point in time where one of the earlier plagues that destroys all the grass has not completed. Because here it says the locusts are commanded not to destroy the grass. If the grass was already destroyed, that would be a worthless commandment or instruction the second thing it says is that they were commanded not to hurt the 144,000 which means the 144,000 have to still be on the earth now we know this doesn't happen until the midpoint of the tribulation so the 144,000 are still here after the midpoint of the tribulation but how long are they here let's keep reading and to them it was given that they should not kill them but that they should be tormented five months so here's a plague that's going to run five months and their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he strikes a man. And in those days shall men seek death. Now, folks, how, how bad would things have to get for you to want to die? 
Now, I know we say things like that. I know when we feel sick, we can get the flu and we think, oh, we've got to die to get better. But really, seriously, what would make you want to want to die? In those days shall men seek death and shall not find it. Death will be suspended for a five-month period. Nobody will die for five months. That's fascinating to me. And they shall desire to die, and death shall flee from them. And the shapes of the locusts were like unto horses prepared unto battle, and on their heads were as it were crowns like gold, and their faces were as the faces of men. And they had hair as the hair of women, and their teeth were as the teeth of lions. And they had breastplates as it were breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was as the sound of chariots to many horses running to battle. And they had tails like unto scorpions, and there were stings in their tails, and their power was to hurt men five months. And they had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name is the he- in the Hebrew tongue is Abaddon, but in the Greek tongue his name is Apollyon. So these have got to be demon locusts. They've got a ruler from the bottomless pit. Now, folks, who's in the bottomless pit? The devil's not there. Who's in the bottomless pit? Is it possible that this is what it's talking about where the angels that left their first estate are reserved into chains under darkness? If it's not them, I don't have an answer. If this is not part of that operation, then who could it be? Because the devil hadn't been sent to the bottomless pit yet. He's taken care of later on down the road. But at that point in time, who's in the bottomless pit? It's not talking about hell. Hell is not the bottomless pit. So who's it talking about? By the way, the devil doesn't reside in hell. I hear some people saying, devil, I cast you back into hell. He doesn't live there. He lives here. He doesn't want to live there. He's not looking forward to the time where he has to go there. So what about, what's this bottomless pit? Folks, I don't have an answer. I don't, and nobody else's answer that I've ever heard or read satisfies me either. I don't know what this is. I have one thing to say about this. Thank God I'm in heaven when this takes place. That's enough reason to get saved right there. You know? Well, this is part of what the, the two witnesses have under their control too, apparently, because it says they use the plagues at their own will. Then it tells us that the 144,000 are raptured. We find them back in heaven in Revelation chapter, the last part of Revelation uh, chapter 14. It tells us, therefore, that they are on the earth. The 144,000 are on the earth for three and a half years plus five months. We see that from the locusts in the operation, the instruction given to the locusts. So that's almost five years, or almost four years, excuse me. That's three years and 11 months that the, tr- the 144,000 are on the earth doing their ministry. During that time, they're getting everybody saved that they can possibly get. They must be getting people saved during this five-month period or else they'd have been raptured with with the great multitude at the halfway point. Why leave them if they're not working? Makes sense, doesn't it? So they must still be trying to get people saved, but it doesn't say anything about anybody else being raptured, just the 144,000. We don't know if that's just incomplete information. God didn't see fit to tell us that others were raptured with them or if they're still here on the earth. The Bible tells us that Jesus is coming back to receive us unto himself. This is known as the rapture. But the Bible also says that he's coming back for a glorious church. That means a church that's filled with the glory of God. That means a church that demonstrates the character and the nature of God. 
This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. So faith begins where the will of God is known. God's Word reveals His will to you. And once you know His will, there is nothing that can stop you from receiving what God has for you. That is the number one problem, the number one objection that everybody has, no matter what the area is, healing or whatever, that is the number one objection that people have. They don't know if it's God's will for them. Well, how are we going to find out? The answer is in the Word. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.